I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone and welcome to Come for Supper. I'm Alexandra Dudley, food writer, cook and serial dinner party host. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down with people who share that love for food, chat about life and learn a little bit more about how they like to serve supper. I speak to chefs, restaurateurs, artists, actors, authors, and pretty much anyone who likes to entertain. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you click subscribe. And if you enjoy it, rate it, review it, and tell your friends as it makes all the difference. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined in the studio by a woman who knows both her writing and her food. Working in journalism for over 30 years, she has worked across the board, writing for publications including The Independent, The Guardian, The Mail on Sunday and The Sunday Times. Today, she holds the position as food editor at The Sunday Times, as well as being an editor at the ever-influential hospitality publication, Code. She is the wonderful Lisa Markwell. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. So where have you come from this very hot afternoon? It's a very hot day, isn't it? I have come from one of my two places that I work. I sort of bounce between them and I'm convinced one day I'm going to walk in somewhere and they'll look at me and say, why are you here? Because I was supposed to be at the other one. Um, Today I've come from the Sunday Times, which is um, in the Baby Shard, which is right next door to Borough Market. So well placed for... Very convenient mm -hmm. for lunch break. Very convenient. What did you have for lunch then? Well... I had, I'm, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I mean, I think cancel my job as a food editor because I had a bag of Walker's crisps from the vending machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I get in front of my computer, I'm generally a bit sort of panicked, overworked. I have so much to do. And um, I was writing a huge feature, which I sort of had to kind of pull apart and do again, and um, about food in Palestine, which we're probably going to come on to later. But I just, A, I was immersed, you know, sort of in my brain in all this incredible fresh food and markets and things. And but I just knew that I didn't have time. And, and if I'm really honest, the canteen is a bit of a shocker. God, so They need to fix yeah, that. So it's it's either go outside and have something delicious from one of the many fantastic places in Borough. Super excited about the new bow and the new floor and all those places. But it's, so it's, it's that or the vending machine. Okay. And today it was the vending machine. Yeah. The vending machine won. So let's go back. I know that you left school quite young. What was your kind of first step or move into journalism? Well, I left school when I was 16, um, uh, but I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist. From, I was going to ask. You yeah, always knew. Always like that, knew. From, that was it. From 14, and I had this incredible experience, sort of totally by accident, really, where I went to a girls' grammar school, and you do that sort of careers chat, and I said, oh, I want to do my work experience on a newspaper or a magazine, and they said, oh, don't be silly, no one does that. This is sort of out in Buckinghamshire where... People generally didn't do things like that. Anyway, so I thought, damn them. So I wrote to every magazine I could think of. And the fashion editor at Cosmopolitan said, well, sure, come here. So and in fact, it was right around the corner from where we are on Broadwick Street um, at National Magazine. So I went and worked at Cosmo. Oh, no, actually, maybe it was. Anyway, I went and worked at Cosmopolitan, wherever the office was, can't remember. And uh, 
they sort of dressed me up in all sorts of weird and wonderful clothes and I went home on the wow. you know commuter train to Jarrah's Cross sort of in some sort of proto Vivian Westwood nostalgia of mud kind of crazy clothes and hairdos and things and, and of course totally fell in love with with the whole idea of magazines and things yeah, I can imagine so then yes I mean really was not a studious young woman and so left school sort of under a bit of a cloud went and did some A-levels really duffed those up too and thought well I, I just know that I want to be a journalist so there's got to be a when and I mean this was a very long time ago as you said in the intro sort of more than 30 years ago and um, it wasn't really that sort of route through you know English at uni and then working you know doing a journalism course I just learned how to be a secretary and and was told at my first job which was Country Life magazine don't tell anyone that you can do shorthand or you'll be a secretary forever so just sort of like as soon as you can just get a byline, get your words on a page. And so I did that. I wasn't a natural fit for country life, I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Most of the other secretaries went home on a Friday night with a little suitcase because they were going home to sort of... The country. You know, the con- mummy's house, <laughs> mummy's castle, probably. <laughs> yes. And I was going home to a bedsit in Southfields. <laughs> so um, I didn't last terribly long. But then, you know, that was it. I was in, I was hooked. I was, you know, I was writing like a mad thing. And, um, and funnily enough, it's sort of journalism's come full circle in lots of ways because in those days there was quite a lot of just do it yourself so we did our own pictures we did our own we modeled clothes ourselves sometimes we wrote everything sort of almost like kind of online publications are now and sort of like social media you less know polished yeah yeah, yeah definitely less polished and there are some very dodgy pictures floating <laughs> around somewhere of me sort of with very early you know hair extensions and and going to sort of interview oh, kind brilliant. of pop groups you know sort of you know with a cranky old tape recorder because you you worked at a pop magazine as well i worked on a magazine called honey which yeah. was um sp- sort of i suppose predated things like you know, just seventeen, or or mm-hmm. maybe heat. Even it was a sort of mismatch of fashion, pop, everything, gossip. gossip. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It was actually a really cool magazine that had lots of amazing people working for it. And the the editor, when I was there, her best friend was sort of Paulie Yates. So we, you know, we had a lot of kind of pop. Cool. Yeah, and and young girls would phone up and say things like, "Can I speak to one of Duran Duran?" And you'd be like, "Well, they, they're not actually in the office, even <laughs> if they're in the magazine." You know, cool. Yeah, it was the heady days. And then, I mean, I, I keep going. Well, <laughs> we'll be here for, I hope this is a four-hour unedited <laughs> podcast, because if we go through my entire, entire career, maybe we'll just pick out a few highlights. Well, I was going to say, actually, in the introduction, I felt like I halved your achievements. <laughs> I could have gone on and on and on and well, on. Well, but, it's not you know. achievements. I think it's just sort of longevity. I've just been around for a true. long time. Yeah, Hard yeah. work. Grafting. Grafting and just doing things that I like. I mean, I think, um, you know, I did think I wanted to go and work in fashion and I went and worked for a fashion photographer for a while and realised very quickly I didn't want to do that. And, you know, so a lot of it was, I mean, I was lucky, you know, sort of finding my way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never a, a sort of real kind of reporter, you know, sort of on a local paper with a sort of, you know, ring-bound notebook and sort of sniffing out kind of court yeah. stories and things. That's one thing I never did. So it's sort of weird in a way that I ended up editing a newspaper because I think most people do go down that road. But I was, you know, features, everything around the way we live and the people that make it interesting, I suppose, you know, it is what I was into. And, and I think the one thing that all journalists have in common is just a, a massive sense of curiosity. And, yeah. you, just, you know, you just want to know what's going on around that corner. What are they yeah. saying? There's always, know? I guess, the more you know, the more you want to know yeah. as well. So I, I guess a key kind of marker was when you joined The Independent, which... Yes. I joined The Independent sort of by accident because I was working for a, a magazine and the editor was leaving um, to have a baby. And I thought, well, I know that I was a deputy and I thought, well, I know I'm not going to get the job because being a deputy editor is pretty tough gig because you mostly do all the work and don't get any of the glory. Yeah. And so I thought, mm, now is probably a time to to jump into something else. And I knew the bloke who'd, 
who had just been made the editor of The Independent. And so I phoned up, rookie mistake, phoned up at six o'clock on a Friday evening to see if he had any jobs going. And, the, you know, the person who answered the phone just sort of said, you're an idiot, don't you know anything about magazines? We're on deadline. We're kind of, yeah, we're, yeah. we're sort of sending a newspaper <laughs> off to the printers. I was like, oh God, sorry. Anyway, the, the, the editor, Simon Kellner, phoned me back and said, or his PA and said, if you can be here in half an hour, you know, maybe, wow. maybe we can talk. That's and, exciting. Yeah, and it was a very fateful journey across town because I sort of scampered over to yeah, can Canary Wharf. I nervous. Yeah, well, just sort of, I didn't even really know yeah. how, how weird this whole thing was. And so we had a chat and he said, we're, we're relaunching a magazine. Um, I've already got one bloke um, who's Andrew Tuck, who's now the editor of Monocle, who is just a genius and I love him. And, um, you know, he was like, you've never met before, but you, do you two want to work together? And we sort of looked at each other and we were like, okay. Yeah, And so great. we did the magazine and... Um, I was saying to someone yesterday, he was sort of my original kind of office husband. There's, you know, there's been quite a few, but he was the sort of original one. And we just worked together well. And I ended up just sort of hopping around the independent, doing lots of different jobs. It's a, it was a very progressive newspaper. And also sort of because it didn't have the funds of lots of other papers, yeah. it was a startup, yeah. essentially. From, Which is always you know, a bit more exciting, I think. Throughout its whole life, really, when you talk about the sort of Telegraph of the Times, it's been going for hundreds of years. Mm. You know, the Indy had been going for 10 years, I think, by that point. Um, so... Yeah, that was a place where you could, you know, if you were interested in something, you could go and do it. And that's where, is that where you started doing kind of restaurant reviews? Yeah, so I had a sort fun. of... Fun, fun job. A fun job. Um, I mean, in the, you know, in the steps of some brilliant people and, and some not so brilliant people, I, um, Terry Durack was a brilliant restaurant reviewer who, and Tracy McLeod um, was there. Um, and I was editing a magazine and I hired a, a writer to do restaurant reviews who... One day he was so late on his deadline, he actually sort of plagiarised himself and just cut and pasted a review that he'd previously done of a restaurant for another newspaper. And uh, and I phoned him up and said, look, you, it's kind of, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> you know, plagiarising other people is, you know, worse, but this is the next best thing. So I thought, crap, I've got to find something to put in the paper. So I just went out for dinner and, and wrote it up the next day and... And then thought, okay, this is great. Yeah. I'm, I'm hiring myself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely would. Um, and then the paper, I'm going to plug you again, sorry. And the paper, all, I mean, it also won Newspaper Award for Weekend Paper of the Year, as well as Press Award for the front page of the year, which I know there's a story behind, which is very much to do with you. Yeah. Would, you would you be able to share yeah, that? Yeah, of course. So obviously skipping ahead, and I'd done lots of different jobs on the Indian, and um, we launched the iPaper, which was the sort of spin-off. Yes you know very cheap paper which was just such a fun project again that was sort of almost back to the days of let's write it ourselves let's yeah. do all this and you know like they say in old hollywood films let's do it right here in the barn you know yeah, we yeah. just sort of we do just, it now we just did it um and the editor sorry the the owners of the paper the um alexandra and yevgeny lebedev i think sort of got to know them a bit through through that period and um yevgeny in his sort of trademark um way just sort of phoned me up and said you know, I'd like to make you the editor of the Sunday paper. And I was like, what now? That doesn't happen to... How know. old were you at this time, at this point? Oh, I was pretty... I was quite old. So I was 2013. I, was, oh, I mean, I was in my 40s. So I, wasn't, okay. I, I had, you know, I had a body you, of work. Yeah. Um, You'd earn that authenticity. I, I hope so. Um, and also, you know, I think it's important to note, and I didn't get the job because I'm a woman, but it, it's great that a woman yeah. edited a paper. Yeah. And when I got complaints, they were usually things like, you've got too many women in the newspaper and I'm like well suck it up guys because it's been your way for a long time <laughs> yeah exactly. you know? that's what I say and, I'm constantly yeah, saying that yeah. to people being like you know it's they're not necessarily better than us but they keep getting the work and I'm like 
Yeah. Tables are turning, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, so just... And I got an amazing... My best ever fan letter was from a female playwright, actually, who said, I've just bought The Independent on Sunday. There are five women on the front page. They're all fully dressed and none of them is the victim of a crime. So thank you. And yeah. I thought, oh, God. Brilliant. I, you know, I felt pretty emotional. But the front page to which you're referring wasn't that one. It was actually... And it's funny because as the front page of the Evening Standard yesterday or a few days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, um, was of a dead fa- uh, father and child, I believe. Um, and I looked at that and thought, wow, that really brought back memories because during, on my watch um, was when ISIS were doing a lot of, um, you know, really, um, well, they've never done anything nice, but they were um, murdering aid workers, uh, foreign helpers. They were journalists. They were capturing people. They were beheading them and murdering them on camera for propaganda. And there was a particular case, Alan Henning, who was a British man who had gone over to help as an aid worker. He was actually, I think, a taxi driver from from the UK. And he was beheaded on camera. And this happened overnight on a Friday night. So when you're editing a Sunday paper, quite often you come in on Saturday morning, news is broken, things have moved on. You know, you're sort of starting from scratch, even though in theory you've had a week to get yourself together. So the story broke and I thought, you know, the picture editor said, we've got all these pictures, you know, what should we do? And I had this very strong sense that I did not want to publish those pictures. Even though this is the biggest story in the world right now, I just thought there's got to be a way. And so I talked to my deputy, James, and I said, look, you know, I, it's on the front page, but without the pictures, you know, I, I feel like we can do this. So I talked to the art director. I said, well, let's just have a black front page. And actually, wouldn't it be cool if we got all the other papers and said, as one, and this never happens, you know, but I sort of had this sort of idea that we could do this. I said, let's talk to all the other editors and, and see if we can make this happen. Let's do a blanket ban on the pictures because they're doing it for propaganda and let's not give it to them. So I went and talked to one newspaper editor and James went and talked to another one and we sort of regrouped half an hour later and went, yeah, that's not going to work. Cause really? They were, they were like, no, you know. Actually, one of them said to me, oh, yeah, I think it's a really, you know, it's a really good idea, Lisa. It's a nice sentiment, but, you know, next time I might want to. And I thought, ne- why? Gosh, yeah, And also, P.S., let's hope there isn't a next time. Yeah. But, you know... So I said, okay, well, let's do it anyway. You know what? Maybe I'll get fired tomorrow, but fuck it. Sorry, bother. You know, no, no, for do today. It. Honestly, we all words are allowed. <laughs> you know, let, I want, I want to do this. And so we, we, we did a front page that was just blacked out, and it said, you know, decent human being was murdered on Friday night um, by a, a, you know terrorist organisation. Um, you know, it was done on camera for for the purposes of propaganda. We don't do propaganda. Here is the news. And just sort of pressed send because you literally do still do that. And, um, you know, thought, oh, God, there goes nothing. And to my amazement overnight, you know, it just started picking up attention sort of all over the world and people were talking about it. And, you know, I felt I felt really proud that if I never did anything else as a journalist, I'd done something I really like genuinely felt good about and and that it was the right thing to do. And then months later, you know, when they have these sort of big jollies for all the press and you've got kind of the, the Times has sort of got five, you know, tables at this big press awards and, you know, the Observer and Guardian have got sort of six tables and the Independent's got one table that they're sharing with the Evening Standard. It's, <laughs> it's right at the back yeah. of the room. And so I thought, wow, you know, not going to win anything and just sort of got stuck into the not terribly good red wine. And, and, it, and it was the last award of the night pretty much. And so it was about 11 o'clock and... You know, before I knew it, they were calling out my name and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. And so I sort of stumbled past all these people and got to the front and, you know, was just so proud and so pleased. But really it was, you know, the the independents are really, the independent on Sunday is a really small team. And and, um, and I just said to to the host, we'll get this little glass award. And I said, have you got another 11? 
the same. And he looked at me quizzically and I said, because, you know, there's 12 of us who put this paper out. Yeah. And the whole room, there was just a sort of like silence. And wow. then and I thought, oh, God, now I'm getting, I didn't get fired when the paper, the paper came out. I might get fired tomorrow. And then people started clapping. And I just, you know, I thought, you know. Yeah, quite are, right. We are the sort of, you know, the David in this, um, David and Goliath industry. But, you know, we, we can make a difference. Yeah. And, and yeah, so... It's a really um, commendable piece of journalism and I think just kind of move. Um, so I'm really glad we got it in there. I yeah. think it's important for people to kind of hear that. I know it's a slight diversion from, yeah, it's from sort of, food. You know, it, it is. An, but it's important. It's important. And I think it sort of, it talks to actually what people do in, a, in any industry yeah. when they just think, I've got a feeling about this. Yeah, you know, going that, with your gut. Yeah, and I think that's whatever you're doing. If you're opening a restaurant, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're writing a review or you're, you know, you're making fashion that is vegan or whatever it is, you know, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to push the dial. Because yeah. even you push it all the way over and then it, it kind of comes back halfway, you have done something. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, also, it's, also, it's kind of like a pendulum as well. Yeah. You really have to push far. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So let's bring it a little bit back to the table briefly. Do you, do you like to entertain? Do you like to host a dinner party? I love hosting a dinner party. And for years, editing a Sunday paper, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, I could never, ever socialise. Yeah, which are the nights. Those are the nights, right? That's when everyone wants to go to dinner parties. So we didn't have very many dinner parties for a really long time. Three, three and a half, sort of three and a half years, I was editing the paper. And the only other people I could kind of hang out with were chefs because... They, Not a bad know, life. Well, it's, you know, there was a lot. I mean, Bloodshot is a legendary Saturday night sort of supper club that they have down at the dairy that starts at one in the morning and on a Saturday night. Of course, I'm like, I'm in, you know, because <laughs> I am still up and I've just finished work and I'm completely crazy. Um, but then, you know, then before that and after that, um, oh, I'd have Sunday lunches maybe, but also have people over. You know, it's a chance to, to, to catch up with people if you're working in really different businesses. You know, around the table is the best place. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So what's a bit of a kind of signature move for you? What do we get when we come to your house for supper? If you had all the time in the world, let's say, yeah, 12 mates say- coming round, you've got, like, you know... The paper's on hold yeah. for a week. You've got a week. But also, I mean, well, we now have reunions and, and both with my old um, sort of independent buddies, um, with the gang that I went to, to chef training with, you know, people like that. I do like to have a lot of people around the table. And I suppose my go-to would probably be something Middle Eastern, you know, very yeah. sort of, you know, the big sharing plates, that sort of generosity and that bounty of having, you know, huge, great sort of shoulder of lamb. It's got um, so much life in it. Yeah, food. sort of lots of, you know, starters and things that people can dip into. Um, you know, if you've got veggies, you know, you can do loads of sort of beautiful aubergine things. 
things. It's sort of, it's a kind of, it looks like a bountiful table, which is always really nice. Um, and I've learned the hard way that trying to make fresh pasta, you know, ravioli for eight people yeah. is going to take a long time. Yeah, You're I, just going to want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it. Like, pan frying it fish, yeah. all of that kind of thing. Just yeah. just keep it easy. I always say keep it easy. 100%. Yeah, so I think that is something that is, you know, you can do a lot of it in advance. And, and that goes back to before I sort of learned about mise en place and, you know, prep kitchens and having loads of stuff ready. You know, that was just a, a, a thing that felt right. Um, so that would probably be my go-to if it was a large number of people. Small number of people, you know, I'm going to show off like the next You're going to do the fresh person. pasta. It's going to come out. Yeah, or, yeah, something, yeah, seafoody or something that involves sort of, yeah, three-day pastry work or whatever. Oh, yeah, brilliant, like puff pastry, <laughs> yeah. fresh puff, homemade puff pastry. And what about um, memorable meals or even better dinner parties? Has What's been your kind of most memorable dining experience? Okay, well, I've probably got a couple. I mean, that. Recently, I went to Palestine um, to learn about the food there, which was an astonishing trip. And um, it was actually during Ramadan, and it was forty-eight degrees in the Jericho Valley, and we were, you know, we wow, were, that's hot. Yeah, and it was hot, and it was it was difficult for us. But you know, we were eating, drinking water all day long. The the people that we were staying with and the drivers, you know, they were not have Any, they yeah. couldn't have anything at all, not a sip of water. And on our last night, we had a meal to an iftar meal to kind of break the fast with all the people that we'd been staying with and who'd been driving us around. And it was incredibly memorable because, you know, we felt this sort of we'd learn over the last few days sort of how you know fantastic the food is, how gracious the hospitality is, but also for those people who you know, hadn't eaten anything mm. all day, you start symbolically with a date, a visual yeah. date, and then eat all these incredible sort of stuffed um, aubergines and courgettes and, you know, vine leaves rolled around the most delicious food. We were drinking sort of sweet almond juice and, wow. you know, it really was the yeah. most memorable night. And then we did, you know, what I always do because I'm an idiot. It's just say, okay, let's all do a picture together. And so you do a nice one where everyone's trying to look sort of very sort of soigné. <laughs> and then like, okay, let's do a stupid face one, which I always do with my family. And of course, that's the one that everyone then puts on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, everywhere. Like, that's the one that goes viral. Uh, yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but it was an amazing night. But then, slightly less successfully, although memorable and kind of funny, um, I invited Faye Mashall around for dinner. Um, she's a wonderful woman and a huge inspiration. And yeah, it, funny that I've got. Brilliant, brilliant company. Later. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I invited her over with her husband, late husband Reg, and he also brilliant raconteur and amazing company so I thought okay I'll show off you know I'm going to make you know all these different things and I'm going to make this um, stuffed uh, pasta you know f- filled ravioli with monkfish and ricotta with sort of lemon zest and serve it with a clam sauce and, and did all these other things anyway so we had a fun night and we had quite a lot to drink and the next day didn't hear anything from Faye and I thought it's unusual because I know that she's normally very quick to sort of say oh you know thanks and so all day and I started thinking I think I might have killed Faye Mashler. Oh my gosh, no. You know, oh my God, the clams. Because I was doing it With in the a clams, hurry. that's exactly what I would have thought. And I was like, oh, I didn't check them. There was probably a bad one. In oh fact, risky. It's yeah. just serving I people know. shellfish I mean, in that situation. Why? Always, always. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it got to about 6pm and I was like, oh, oh God, you know, this is terrible. I've, I have killed Faye. <laughs> oh my goodness. And um, so I eventually sort of... Disclaimer, with great, you haven't. Yeah, with great <laughs> trepidation. Yeah, spoiler alert, she is still around <laughs> if you've read the Evening Standard this week. Um, but yeah, I sort of emailed her just going hello, you know, yeah. it was so lovely to see you last night. I hope you're okay. And she sent one back sort of saying, oh my God, we had the most brilliant time, you know, got up, had a strong coffee and I've been out sort of, you know, Busy. out for a huge lunch. And I was like, wow. Thank gosh. Number one, thank goodness I haven't killed her. And number two, legend, because she went straight to the next 
big, you know, fantastic meal. So yeah, that was memorable. Yeah, that I bet Don't she's do got clams. incredible <laughs> energy. And you're also you you also did a Leith's cookery course. So you are you are a trained chef, mm. which I'm entirely um, jealous about. When was that? So that was so the Independent on Sunday and the Independent sort of stopped publication, which was a heartbreaking moment for yeah. someone who's a real by that point. I you remember know, when that happened. totally sort of you know, immersed in it all and, and the privilege of editing a paper. And then suddenly, you know, comes to Screaming Halt. And, you know, I never went to university. I never consequently had a gap year or anything like that. And I just thought, I don't want to just jump straight back into journalism. And, and you know, I've had my dream job. So what do I really love? Well, I really love cooking. And I didn't really think of it as like a career change. I just thought... So it wasn't, is... it wasn't going to be a diversion from no, writing. It was, a, it was just, like a love for food. Yeah, it was just like, this is my gap year. Okay, and cool. so I said to my husband, like, I'm not going to earn any money for a year. How do you feel about that? And he was like, do it. You know, yeah. just do it. Also, I think brackets, the dinners are going to be amazing. Yeah, and satisfying, I think, <laughs> yeah. to be so in, in, engrossed in food to then have a re, a d- even deeper understanding of the yeah. kind of I really wanted to skill. do that. And it wasn't with any sort of, like, you know, game plan. And my kids are grown up and I just thought, I just want to do this. So this yeah. is three years ago I started. And it's, yeah, as you say, it was sort of almost a full year course. And... Um, and I just got immersed in it. And, and I did then sort of think, this is actually really interesting. And a literary agent had said to me, have you got any ideas for books? And I had a few totally, you know, rubbish ideas. And I was chatting to her about this and she was like, this is a book. So very, very slowly. I know. Unlike, I've I been overtaken ask, by every it, other author it, in the can world. Can we see it? Well, one day. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's all sort of Scaring there. the bookseller, waiting. Yeah, I know. It's all there. And, you know, in the meantime, sort of brilliant Felicity Cloaks have written like yeah. three books in that yeah. time. And, you know, goodness knows who else. But you know, I I will get around to it. Um, just having two jobs and, and you know a sort of a semblance of a home life and trying to do some cooking mm. and you know it's it's a lot, but I, I I will get it. It will happen. Do you have great knife skills? I bet you have great knife skills. I they're definitely better than they were. Um, I'm not going to lie. Another memorable night was when I had all my chef buddies around and had had a couple of drinks and was just literally chopping some coriander to do on, as a garnish on top of something and then just cut the top off my thumb. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, so that's not a good look um and all chefs will tell you that blue paper is your friend because that will staunch the blood yeah um and it did um but i did go to hospital the next day and they were like what happened you know i didn't want to admit you know that i was had just had a like, couple, chef and I just... couple of negronis and i'm a trained chef and i was like oh i was at work and had this terrible accident and um so yeah knife skills but generally things like filleting a fish butchering meat yeah um you know, it's amazing to think, to have that confidence that I can do those things and I know the right knife and I know, remember to sharpen it and the, the whole time. And, and yeah, all of that, you know, the, those are sort of things that they become muscle memory as well. I mean, I don't fillet fish every night, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But, you know, when I do, I, I'm i like, I'm not daunted or if I needed to dispatch a lobster, I can do that. Dispatch a lobster, I love that. Mm. And what about catastrophes then? Apart from, I mean, you can, you can choose the coriander <laughs> and the knife thing, but I think a lot of people are kind of shy away from entertaining for fear of, fucking up and failing basically but I think the reality is that we all do it so has there been a time maybe on the course because you do exams as well don't you at least oh yeah maybe maybe entertaining where it just went wrong yeah I mean in in exams my final exam was like five and a half hours and it was the hottest day of the year and we had to make pastry which is everyone who makes in a hot day in a hot day is a disaster I had ice buckets to put my hands in in between yeah I have cold hands yeah always been taught pastry hands good pastry hands um, but also we had to bone out an entire chicken and then make a ballotine and everything. And that is, again, like hygiene skills. You know, you've got to have it's got to be cool. And that was hard to do. But probably I would say thinking back and it's a sort of a combination of like what I would cook at a dinner party and my biggest disaster is one thing that uh, lots of people 
find very comforting is food which I love which is something like coquevin which is a mm-hmm. delicious hearty obviously not this time of year lovely lovely dish you can make in advance and I always have I always put a pig's trotter in because that lovely gelatinous thing it thickens the sauce it makes it delicious and you know that's a fantastic thing to do as long as no one doesn't eat pork um, but one time there was this one time um, <laughs> where I made coquevin and um, served it up and you know Everyone was sort of tucking in with delicious pompuree and it was all lovely. And I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I didn't take out the pig's trotter. So someone around this table is eating, you know, silently struggling through eating a pig's trotter rather than a sort of delicious piece of chicken. And so I was like, <gasps> and I just confessed and said, has someone got something that doesn't look like chicken? And, some, and then one person was like, yes. <laughs> it's said, a bit oh. like the penny in the Christmas pudding, yeah. but maybe not as lucky. <laughs> Yeah, and probably not so much of a sort of death hazard, you know, choking yeah, okay, hazard. But that's it's just, true. Yeah, no, no one. It, I, I mean, mean, probably is just as much of a choking hazard, actually. Quite possibly, because <laughs> I hadn't taken all... I mean, Pierre Kaufman does a mean pig strotter, I know, but, you know, that's with a lot of skill. This was just basically something like plonked in. in. Yeah, so don't do that, guys. I think, I think I've probably done worse. <laughs> so you've, you've also written some incredibly powerful articles, which I know are a little bit closer to home, um, on the kind of process of adoption and of having children with special needs. Is it... Is it is it difficult to put your heart on the on on the page? I mean, it's an incredibly brave thing to do, and and it sort of removes that slight barrier between your role as a journalist and your readers, and you become in yeah. a sense more human. I mean, I do think you know, I think it's important to be honest, and yeah. and these things are things that you know have been a massive part of my life. And my son did phone me up one day, and actually, funnily enough, it was about something completely sort of idiotic, which was I used to write a column briefly about how terrible I was with money. And I think I was talking, you know, writing, so occasionally my children would sort of pop up in this column and he phoned me up and said, stop putting me in your column. Wow, okay. So I was like, oh, okay, sorry about that. So I stopped that sort of thing. Um, And I did write an entire book about, or a book proposal about adoption. And then I realised that that was, at the time it wasn't the right thing to do because it's not really fair to put your children into something. I will revisit that subject. Um, But... I think, you know, I mean, again, it sort of comes back to the same old subject, which is food, which is, you know, my sort of, you know, a thing I'm passionate about because, you know, adopted children quite often come through situations where they haven't had access to good food they or, or sort of routines. And, and, you know, I was brought up as a real sort of in a really routined family where we had the same things every Monday night, yeah. Wednesday night, Friday night, and all those sorts of things. And on Sunday, even when we were teenagers, you still showed up for Sunday roast and things. And I sort of put that stuff in place for, for my children. And I think that was probably, without really realising it, that was very important to them. You know, Friday night was burgers and, and mm-hmm. a movie night and, you know, Sunday roasts and all that. And my son, who's now 23 and lives outside London, knows that if he showed up at six o'clock on a Sunday, there would be, um, there would be you know, a roast on the table. Um, so I kind of quite like that, you know, and I think it's it's good to write about those things. And yeah, I mean, you're you're right. You've got a, such a breadth, wide breadth of kind of <laughs> ability, capability to write about almost pretty much anything. I think. Well, I suppose you just, you know, I mean, I do say to some of the people I work with at Code, who most of whom are sort of in their twenties, you know, and we sort of get onto whatever subject it is, and I'm like, oh yeah, there was, you know, I remember when this something, 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 you know, and and they're like, oh gosh, and it's literally just being around for long enough to have had that number of things happen in your yeah. life. I think is 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 what it is. There's no, you know, there's no kind of aren't you brave or isn't it amazing? It's just life. You know, we will, we all have stories to tell. Yeah, there's um there's a piece that you wrote that actually, in fact. I saw you perform it live at the at the table event. Mm. I was probably too shy to come and say hello, and I was. It was. Do you remember that evening? It was. Incredibly, yeah, I remember it very well. Ev- all the performances were just so strong. For it any 
listeners who don't know what At The Table is, it's a it's an online and also biannual, I think, publication that um, is heavily kind of threaded through with food, but it kind of treads on all different kind of issues and areas. And they also host monthly events, or they, they definitely host events. Um, and this is where I saw you do a, a kind of a reading, which I'm actually going to read from now. And Ooh. I'm going to sub-quote Faye Mashner, actually, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Um, so... One of the first books I can remember owning was Cooking is a Game You Can Eat by Faye Mashler. It was published in 1975 when I was 10. She soothes the young cook like this. Don't be dismayed if the first time you try, some of your efforts are literally a flop. They may well taste very good, and that is what matters. And they will have the homemade look. Next time, follow the recipe very carefully, and you are sure to have better luck. Practice never makes perfect in cooking, but it does help. And you go on to talk about various incredible women who kind of have influenced your career and your writing and I think, and your life. And it gets, you know, gets quite deep into your life. Um, I was wondering if you could share some of those, some of the women that have kind of inspired you, I guess, through your life. Maybe someone who's been there a long time and then perhaps someone who's new and up up and coming. Yeah, well, I mean, Faye, I didn't obviously only met Faye, you know, I don't know, a decade ago or something. And, and But I had still got that book. And it's funny because I wasn't interested in cooking at all for years and years. And, and I do think it's the best title of a cookbook ever. Cook, yeah. Cooking is a game you can eat. I mean, how cool is yeah. that? I keep saying to her, look, do another one or like, can I nick the title? Because it's brilliant. <laughs> yes. um, so... Um, Faye, for sure, without even really realising it. Um, you know, Nigella is someone who I just think, again, comes yeah. back to that, like, storytelling. Brilliant, I Nigella. saw her recently do a talk at the uh, British Library and just that kind of honesty and, uh, you know, she is, again, a natural raconteur. But, you know, it's it's all there. Her, her life is all there through the prism of food. And she then introduced me to Ella Risbridger, who's a young writer who talked about people up and coming. You know, her book Midnight Chicken just is incredible about, you know, life and and heartbreak and family and everything and it's all it's all to do with food you know it's the stuff of life as the as yeah. the cliche goes so um those are kind of important people I mean I loved writing that piece so what happened was at the table said to me you know we'd love you to come and be one of our people who reads out something and I was like I don't think I, I can't really think of anything I've written I could <laughs> read aloud um you know like most of it is just sort of guff about you know pastry or barbecues or something and I was like I don't know so I was like like an idiot I was like oh I'll write something and of course give yourself you know if ask a busy person so I was like I can do this and then I realized I'd just to write something through my own voice for however many however long it takes to you know 10 minutes is a long time to read something and yeah. that's a lot of words you only find that out afterwards so I thought okay I, looking through my shelves of you know ridiculous number of books there's something in this there's something about the women whose voices have made my voice and once I started that then it was just like, ah, there's yeah. all these people. Nora Ephron. Yes. Oh, my God, Heartburn. The ultimate in telling a memoir. That's how you, I think that's with, where you ended with yeah, with, an extract with, from her. Yeah, with food, you know. And in fact, that, that the extract, which is all about making egg white omelettes. And it's, just, which is hilarious. Just do not make egg white <laughs> omelettes. Is, you know, it's, too it's long. So didn't, TL didn't DR. I read it you know, this just, morning. Yeah, just just don't make an egg white omelette. Use whole eggs. Anyway, but her, her, her book Heartburn, which is about the breakup of her marriage and... and you know, the the new more includes sort of key lime pie and you know, everything in that is just incredible. And her I mean, she's one of my, you know, dinner party guests, if only she was still with us, because she is just brilliant and funny and clever and touching and amazing. And, you know, Elizabeth Leward, who's a, a food writer who, again, I didn't know about. She happened to be the mum of a friend of mine. And so 
sort of I was given a few of her books because Fran, my friend, had them knocking about and we went and stayed in Elizabeth's house and again this is before I knew Such I wanted to be a chef. Introduction into yeah, it, isn't incredible it? and and sort of like oh huh, European peasant cooking that sounds interesting yeah. and of course it's a brilliant brilliant book and then Fran got sick and died and that was just a very very important part of my um, sort of early thirties uh, witnessing that and feeling that you know unbelievable loss and food was something that Fran and I had talked about and her mum was there and you know that is just uh, a gift to sort of think you know I've I've met through Fran I've 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 had this sort of incredible pain but through that I've met someone who's a huge mm. part of my life Elizabeth uh, professionally and personally we we had dinner the other night at 45 German Street and just cooked nice. up these kind of bonkers dinner parties that we're going to invite people that we know won't get on and we're going to cook the weirdest Ooh, food wow, yeah. interesting that's yeah. funny yeah that's the story for another day when we've actually got around <laughs> to doing it but um, you know she was she's a brilliant person and and you know she endured enormous heartbreak yeah. and pain and she's still there and kind of doing brilliant work and I mean the list just goes on and on and on um but in terms of people who are kind of coming up I think Ella Risbridger definitely is great but people who are writing about I mean writing recipes which I think is something I would struggle to do who I just think do it really really well because it's fun and it's all part of life for people like Rosie Burkett who mm-hmm. I love, love her Rosie Burkett. her recipes are great because yeah. they're just you know they're just like, like oh you've got friends coming around here's a thing put together and Ed Smith who I yes, came to know he's great as because well. I commissioned him to write for me and he kept saying I'm doing this book I'm not telling you what it's about and I was like come on Ed like how secret can it be and actually, it was genius that he kept that secret because when his book came out on the side, yeah. which is a book I refer to all the time. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and use all the time. I used it when I was doing a bit of private chefing. It's brilliant because it's all about side dishes yeah. and no one really wrote about that yeah. in a collated way. And so hats off to, to Ed. He's, he's, he's brilliant. I was with him actually a couple of weeks ago in Tuscany. It was lovely. He was making, he made some epic side dishes. Yeah, so he's, he's the king. He knows the, how to make it. He's, he's the king of the side. He's the side guy. He's the side guy. Um, and I'm also, I'm going to link that that article because it's I had so much joy when I found it one day accidentally scouring through oh, that at the thanks, table Alex. website and I was like oh, I remember this live and I, I saw a friend today and I was explaining to her what I was doing and I said do you remember that day when I came back and I was reeling about the entire evening actually oh, all of it was um, just stunning wasn't it, it was it was unbelievable yeah. Anna Jones is a, again a brilliant storyteller thing. yeah all everyone all Gosh. yeah 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 I always like to finish with a few questions to just really delve into your kind of dinner party secrets. So do you, Lisa Markwell, have a party trick? A party trick? What, a culinary party trick? Well, no, any party party trick. If I cornered you at a dinner table or cornered everyone and said, everybody's got to do something, you you can sing, you can juggle, you could perform some spectacular cooking skill. Nobody wants to to hear me sing, trust me. (laughs) Um, God, do you know what just came into my mind was something I used to do and it irritates everybody, so I would probably just do that, which is the Mac matchbox trick I mean no one has matchboxes anymore right but maybe chefs do I have matchboxes well you sort of on one so you slide it up and on one side of the base you write down nine numbers in sort of three rows of three kind of randomly and then you sort of you slide that shut and then you write something at the other end so then you show the one at a time you say to people you show them the first three numbers and say choose a number don't tell me what it is and then you slide it up and say choose a number from the second line don't tell me what that the sum of those two is and then slide up choose a number from the third row do you have a total and they say yes and you turn the box around the other way and you say what is your total and they say whatever it is and you slide it up and it says correct so (laughs) 
That's so, great. I was going to say, is this a maths trick? Is this another secret yeah. skill? You think it's okay. going to be an amazing skill, but actually you're just taking the piss out of them. Oh my gosh, I love it. I kind of like that. Yeah. No, I like that. I might have to, I'll have to steal that. Um, and three ingredients you'd, you'd advise everyone to have in their cupboard to throw together a quick dinner party. Yeah, I really, really, I've, I've thought about this such a lot. And I did make my husband, who, thank goodness, I mean, he's a brilliant man in many ways. He's, he's put up with me for 28 years. Um, and he always eats my food no matter what it's like. Um, but also, being a builder, it's incredibly fortunate having him around because my kitchen's kind of like the way I want it to be and I need it to be. But we had, like everyone has who is lucky enough to have a house, so we had the washing machine, the tumble dryer under the stairs. And I was like, why does everyone carry the washing downstairs, wash it, and then take it back upstairs? This is silly. And also, P.S., I need a larder. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, my gosh, the dream, yeah. larder. <laughs> so he moved the washing machine upstairs and the tumble dryer, and now I've got a little larder. So that's brilliant. I mean, it's not like a walk-in kind of gig like Nigella's yeah. probably got but it was it's a good little cupboard and so there's a lot of dried goods and tins and things in there and oils and vinegars and it's great because I can just reach in and grab stuff but actually I was thinking where I really use where I really have the things that I rely on is the freezer and I'm a yes. massive fan of the freezer I'm a big freezer fan I'm a bit and I've just bought a second freezer which oh nice yeah. like a big one no not big it's it's a, it's a regular it's a like an under the counter thing but it's a chest freezer so I do have to pull it out okay. from under the counter to open it but chest freezers are brilliant because yeah. they're just like mega kind of mm-hmm. black holes that you can just put so much stuff in and I did a job with James Wetlaw from Cabrito the goat guy okay and he paid me in goat and so oh. <laughs> Which is, you know, amazing, but I've got a lot of goat and I didn't know what to do with it, so I bought a freezer. And so, I, and I've just, I've just sort of really cracked kind of ice creams. And so now my chest freezer is, is filled with goat and ice cream. So my, so anyway, that's a long way round of saying that I would say my freezer is the place where my go to. So I make um, a, a sort of as good as I possibly can, um, you know, tomato sauce from like tomatoes when they're in season and and yeah. you know really sort of that lovely sunshine flavor that they've got and then just sort of blitz that down and I just sort of bag that up and that's something that you can use you know for anything if you you know you can just put that with pasta mm-hmm. you can put it with meat fish anything da, 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 and it's delicious so I always have bags of that and then I recently learned from the um, sort of legend that is Nieves Barragan from Sabor I learned I said to her I need to know how to make your tortilla because it's the best tortilla in the world and so she was like sure so brilliant and then Tom Kerridge got wind of it and he was like, I want to come. And I was like, excuse me, Tom. Like, <laughs> this is my gig. Back off to Michelin starred man. <laughs> this is my thing. And he was like, no, I really want to come. I genuinely need to learn. So the two of us went and learned. And it's a quite complicated... It's, it's sort of, yeah, okay. It's, 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 it's mise en place. I mean, it is just onions, eggs and potatoes. Yeah. But it's the way you put them together. Yeah. And the key, obviously, is the caramelised onions. Mm-hmm. So something that I now do is make like vast, vast, vast amounts of caramelised onions where you really cook them, them for like... You a know, long couple time. of hours, and yeah. then just freeze them. Okay, so, that's and again, clever. that's something that you can use. You know, at the, the beginning of a pasta, you can use it at the beginning of a risotto. You can use it. Yeah, or even like you on can toast just put them with on mushrooms. Toast. Yeah. Exactly, Heaven. anything. Yeah, so that's another one. So those two, and then I suppose, and I have written down what was the other thing that I keep in the freezer. Um, well, a pig's trotter. Ob- yeah, obvs, <laughs> obviously, like everyone's got a pig's <laughs> trotter, right? Um, but also, you know, I mean, terrible, terrible cliche that um, you know of a sort of rookie chef is you know good stock. Mm-hmm. that you just reduce down and yeah. then just put into little bags because with that you can sort of, you can make anything. But if I my freezer was playing up, eggs. Eggs, yeah, eggs are a staple. You know, eggs. Gotta have eggs. I think eggs would be mine. Yeah, good eggs, you know, good eggs that you get. I mean, my neighbour, I live in kind of, you know, the mean streets of northwest London, but my neighbour keeps ducks and so he's quite often giving me That's duck great. eggs. Yeah, handy, urban wow. ducks. Yeah, and cool. uh, <laughs> Yeah, although the, the noise can be a little disturbing yeah. sometimes. But, um, 
duck eggs, you know, I mean, that is the dream. That is luxury. You know, like fresh fresh pasta, an omelette, you know, the whites for meringues. You can do a lot with an egg. Yeah, not the omelette, though. White's not for the omelette. No, the whites are for the meringue. (laughs) The whites are for the meringue. Yeah. And then lastly, if you could invite three people, anyone in the world, alive or dead, to your ultimate dinner party who would they be and why I know you shared one well yeah I mean Nora Ephron all day long because she made When Harry Met Sally which is probably the most perfect film ever ever for any mood yeah Yeah, it's got it all definitely it has it all and as someone who's been married for 28 years I do sometimes think about when Carrie Fisher who's the sort of best friend turns to her husband and says after these sort of terrible dating stories that the other people have shared and she says please don't ever let me be out there again and I feel like that about my Mm -hmm. husband so so I wouldn't bring my husband That's to the party because, so nice. you know, he'd just be in the kitchen having the leftovers. But um, Nora, <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, maybe oh, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, in the sort of also probably would have to decline on account of their dead, either Prince because I yes. adored him. Prince. Someone else had I Prince. don't know if he's a great dinner party guest because I suspect he probably doesn't eat a lot. But he could sing. So he, yeah, I mean, so he he's could, got great. Maybe tricks. he's maybe he's the entertainer, Anthony yeah. Bourdain. Yes. Oh God. Cliche, but I'm watching Incredible all of Parts man. Unknown, and I just yeah. you know it's heaven. And then it, firmly in the absolutely still alive. Just I was so lucky to meet him, and I flew to Bangkok to have breakfast with him, and I do not regret a thing. Is Pharrell Williams? Wow. That's yeah. so cool. I was in the air. There's for, always a rogue one. Yeah, I was always. I was in the air longer than I was in Bangkok. Yeah. Um, but it was worth it. Wow, that's so cool. And he loves food and he's like Great. super into it. And, and his mum and dad were there and they love food. And we just oh. all talked about what food we love. That's and, so brilliant. But he's also, you know, he's politically engaged. He is the most stylish man yeah. ever. And he is... Yeah, he's a he's a you know he's a he's Solid a rock star. Yeah, I think also he's which we often forget with celebrities or anybody on who we see in the media is he's also human and that inherently yeah. makes him interesting. Yeah, and and he you know he was like, oh, can I do a selfie with you? I was like, what? <gasps> cool. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, which is you know every year on kind of Pharrell Day as it's now known because this was like three years ago. I I post that picture. I allow myself to post it once a year. Yeah, I love that. God, what a fantastic. So, table. but he he'd be absolutely solid at a dinner party, and he'd probably jump in and help as well. Yeah, wicked. Uh, well, thank you so so much for that. That was that was brilliant, Lisa. And for anybody who doesn't already read or follow you, where can people find you and your work? So, um, well, the Sunday Times is the obvious yes. one. Um, you know, we we kind of. Uh, do recipes and, and fun stuff and Marina Lachlan who is the best restaurant critic yeah. in town um, if I were allowed more people at a dinner party Marina knows her way around a cocktail and is the best fun ever um, so sh- the Sunday Times is great um, and that's where I am but usually I'm just behind the scenes my mum's always disappointed that she doesn't see my name in there but it's, I'm, I'm doing it you know, <laughs> You're it is my thing um, and then Code is my other main thing which yes. is a, it's an app and a bulletin if you're interested in restaurants and you want to know like who's moving where what's opening what's closing what's coming up the Code Bulletin is brilliant, which is codehospitality.co.uk. You can sign up and there's a quarterly magazine, and a which is where weekly, I get to do weekly things. Weekly newsletter. Weekly Mon- new- it makes my Monday. Yeah, that. the Monday Bulletin yeah. is great. But the quarterly magazine, which you can now subscribe to, you know, like all chefs just have the best fun. And so Thomas mm-hmm. Parry in the new issue, which just come out, is talking to us all about the kind of the madness of getting turbot cages made and how many dud oh, ones yeah. he's got in a cupboard before the perfect turbot cage came along. 
Tom Carriage and me learning how to make tortilla. Cool. I mean, just it's just a fun, fun thing. Fun stuff. And you're also on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Twitter as Lisa Markwell, which um, sort of dates back to my newspaper days. And but I love Twitter because being a, I'm still a kind of news hound, and so I look at it every morning. I'm terrified what's to Twitter. Happened. It takes me about 45 minutes to compile <laughs> something. I have to say. You just got to just jump in, but yeah. never ever say anything mean about anybody because yeah. But in know, life, I just don't what, really understand why people what, do don't that. write it down. You know what? Just don't write it mm-hmm. down. Or don't put it on uh, on you know microphone um, and then on Instagram which I love I've actually to my shame sort of got four accounts kind of on the bounce I, I'm like that yeah so I've got the Sunday Times food one which you know I can't believe they gave me the keys to that because that's 145,000 people and so I'm probably going to do something silly and then my sort of main one is at holds knife like pen yeah. which is sort of kind of the name I gave myself when it was like I used to hold a pen because I was a journalist and now I hold a knife because I'm a <laughs> chef and I do both those things so that's my other thing and then for the very, very rare occasions when someone pays me to cook, I've got Chef Lisa Markwell, which is oh, where... Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to follow that Which one. is where the stuff that I haven't one. dropped on the floor kind of shows okay. up. Okay, um, And then I've got a private one because once private, I went through my um, Instagrams and described my luxury second home, which, by the way, was a flat that I rented for a week. <laughs> um, so that one's private, so you don't bother with that. But Holton Eye Flight Pen is where you can sort of see me just Brilliant. spraffing on. Brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much again. And thank you to everyone else for listening. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you liked it, rate it, review it, talk about it, share it, and invite your friends around for supper. This has been a Studio 71 production. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.